It's always inspiring to be back, and I'm going to start off uh, thanking Shul, Rav the Kabbayim, Rav Mardukhai for always putting together this tremendous Kiddush Hashem. And if you notice from the uh, title, uh, the land of the free and the home of the brave. So that uh, is supposed to have a tremendous mindless for us, which we will try to focus on. And we thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for being in this tremendous Medina Shochesed that not only allows us to come and learn and do whatever we want in our pursuit of Ruchnius. Thank you. even gives us the uh, legal holidays to be able to cash in on the opportunity. What I'd like to try to uh, weave in as I do on Thanksgiving, those are my two legal slots. So Thanksgiving, you're, most of the people here are veterans. So I try to, a number of weeks after Yom and Arayim, try to take stock of where we're holding and where we're going. And Memorial Day, Baruch Hashem, gives us the same opportunity. Because as you all know, Chazal say that Pesach and Sfir Saimer is the Alchana for Kabbalah Satayra, and Kabbalah Satayra is a Rosh Hashanah. It's called a Rosh Hashanah. We finished the Klolos before Rosh Hashanah. And now we're just about a week after the Rosh Hashanah. So I'd like to focus on some of the themes that we should be taking with us for the long summer ahead. Summer has its milus and its nisyanis, as we will uh, get to at least half the material. Let's begin with some thoughts on Megillus Rus that we just finished with. I noticed this year that if you look at the Megillah, you look at any Lahavdal, any any Sefer Lahavdal, Lahavdal is any book. So if you want to try to figure out what the theme is, you look at the beginning and the end. Some people cheat, they only look at the end. Lahavdal, Lahavdal is when a Sefer is written with Ruach HaKadosh by a Navi, by Shmuel Navi. So you look for the Ramazim on what the main theme among many main themes, what the main theme possibly is and how it's Nogeitos. If I were to sum it up, the Megillah begins and ends with a very sharp contrast. It begins with Elimelech, who was obviously a Chashviyid, was not deceiving himself when he darshaned his name, Elimelech, Alai Tava Malchus. He understood he's from Yehuda, not from Yehuda, from Peretz. Not from Peretz, from Nachshon. We'll go back to that in a moment, that's important. And he understood that being the talented, resourceful person that he was, a leader, a gvir, a chacham, person with tremendous yichus, 
Malchus is not gaiva. It's almost natural. So where did he go wrong? I'm not saying we would have done any better, but we have to understand what he was thinking on paper. And where did he go wrong? The simple shot. He was one of the Manhigi Adar and he was on the Kavir Adar and they were depending on him. There was a famine going on and people didn't have what to eat. There were many people lining up for Tzedakah. We know this from Chazal. Let's assume even he had $100 million in the bank with a million, two million, three million Yidin and nobody has any money and any food. So take out your paper, even without a calculator. Can you fix the problem? How much money will you have when you fix the problem? If you can't fix the problem, what should you do? So Elimelech, I don't want to over-explain his position because he was killed for this on his madrega. But on paper, he simply took out the pen and said, look, $100 million is a lot of money. There are millions of people who need help every day. Within two, three months, my account will be depleted. I can't solve the problem anyway. I can't fix the problem. I'm going to go bankrupt. And no doubt he knew in Hochestoka you're not supposed to give more than a fifth of your assets. And therefore, if I stay around here, it's just going to drain my assets and they're going to be hungry anyway afterwards. So what good is it? Therefore, I might as well quit while I'm ahead. And his maskana was, uh, I'm out of here. What he didn't notice, again, in our 2020 hindsight and our panoramic view, it's very easy for us to notice this because everything I'm telling you is a composite of Chazal and Midrashim. It says, the famine was only in Eitzestral, it wasn't the Chuslars, he went to Mayav, it's not that far. And there was food there. <coughs> Didn't he notice? Haladavahu. Little country in the Middle East, surrounded by many countries, there's only a famine, Dafka over here. Maybe he noticed, maybe he thought about it for a moment or two, didn't make a Roshim. And he left to a place where the food was available and affordable, preserved his assets, or so he thought he would. And if you look at the Rambam, in Hochaz Malachim, the Rambam says that Machlan and Kilian, his sons, who were not in charge, but maybe could have had some input, as Nami could have had, and she was certainly punished. She had Yisurim, she survived, and she built herself up. Machlan and Kilian had plenty of time to think about it. They were there for ten years before... They were Chayyim Misa. But during those 10 years, this is not well known, because Baruch always tries to send Ramazim, so first they lost some money, and then more money, and then their animals, and the entire estate, and then they died. So how ironic, Elimelech left Eretz Yisrael to preserve his assets, and in the end, he had no assets, and he didn't survive. And yet the Rambam in Hoch when he brings down the Baisa, he talks about Yishev Eretz Yisrael. Leaving Eretz Yisrael, he says that the famine is terrible and you can't stay, and food's too expensive, so then you could leave. Afa Pekin is not Amidus Chasidus. And he says, Machlin and Kilian left, and they were from the Gedele Adar, 
And on their Madrega, they were Chaya Misa, and everybody asks, why did the Ramam skip over Eli Melech and go to Machlon and Kilian? If anything, Eli Melech was the decision maker. Machlon and Kilian maybe could have made a Machlon. Maybe, yeah, maybe not. Ramam doesn't mention Eli Melech. Why? I think the Pshad is that the Ramam was focusing there on leaving Eretz Yisrael. And that was a Taina, Machlon and Kilian shouldn't have agreed to go and should have come back quicker should have come back Elimelech had a far more serious issue going on that is, as the Medrash says he caused tremendous years for Klai Yisrael they were depending on him and he left he had an achrayas he had a leadership position he had the money knew what's going to be with this calculation on paper not enough money to cover it famines come, you've got to wait till the next season at least or two, you've got to start planting again this isn't over in a few months I'm going to run out of money before I fix the problem. What's the answer? Anybody want to volunteer in 2020 hindsight? What? The answer is, is that when you start with the serious nefesh, spending them, spending down, you spend down, you spend down, and then we'll get to 20%, he'll go ask a shayla. If we'd have asked a shayla, they would have said, Sakana spend a little more. Far before the account was depleted, Akash Baruch started the famine, and as you said, he can easily end the famine, and over here, all the countries surrounding had food they can import, and just need some money, a Baruch could solve the problem. Most problems in life seem insurmountable, and often we have years, and we say, why bother, we can't solve the problem anyway, not realizing this important cheshpen, that we're not here to solve problems, we're here to do, and we're here to display the mysterious nefesh, and then enough mysterious nefesh, because Baruch Hu will decide when and where he's going to step in Kaviyachal to solve the problem. It's easy for me to say because it wasn't my money, and I understand Eli Melech, and we all understand Eli Melech. Very easy to understand. Lamaisa, I believe, the Kitschrug here was worse because if you're a descendant, close descendant, of Nachshem Ben Aminadav, of Peretz, of Yehuda, you have a different standard. What was the godless of Nachshon? So you could be sure. Moshe didn't know what to do. So Kosh Baruch Hu told Moshe Rabbeinu, you can stop davening, just go. So Moshe Rabbeinu called out the order, told Klai Yisrael to go. Did he say which member, which shavit, which individual? Of course not. So he said, go. So if we were all sitting there, we said, go. We'd be looking at each other, and we'd say, Bekavod. Didn't say who, which means there's nobody, and if there's nobody, then we're not going anywhere. So, as you all know, the godless and Asha Ben is he did something brave and daring, which nobody else wanted to do because he realized somebody's got to do it. Peretz is Lashon, Peretz, Derech, Amelech has got to think out of the box. He's got to push where you think you can't push, and he's got to go where you think you can't go. And right away you hear the word Melech and Peretz, um, we're all sitting here saying, okay, I'm probably not the Melech. So first of all, the good news is most of you are probably from Yehuda. Don't want to build too much uh, of an achrayas. Most of us are from Yehuda. Um, now half of us are from Peretz, I guess. The other half from Zarech. I don't know who is bigger. But the real achrayas over here is that uh, if you survived until now and you're in America and it's Memorial Day, and you're not at 10 in the morning setting up your barbecue, you might do that later, and you're coming to learn, you're already from the Yechideh Skula that have a tremendous achrayas. 
people get nervous and they hear about Achrayas, but the Megillah Zeros is all about Achrayas, who stepped up to the plate and who didn't. So the Megillah starts again, you can't blame him, Elimelech had his opportunity and he didn't utilize the opportunity. Machlan Achillian didn't go back afterwards. The Megillah ends with plenty of money, again a work of contrast. Plenty of money is first in line, as you all know, and Bayaz is very eager to do the mitzvah, but first is first. Plenty of money goes down in history as, I can't even say infamous because we, we know his name, but we don't talk about him too much. Only in the context of Nebuch, he's a John Doe. Plenty of money. It's, a, it's not the biggest insult, it is. There's plenty of money, he didn't do any Avera. They asked him, he actually was quite generous, and they said, were you willing to redeem fields? They're talking about major transactions, lots of money, millions and millions of dollars. He said, without skipping a beat, sure. And then Boaz reminded him, Rus HaMoavia comes with the deal, and he says, I don't know, this new drusha, Moavla Moavia, can get messy, they're going to argue, they're going to make fun, they're going to chepper. This went on for three days, Adva Adbachlal, Dovod HaMelech, as you know, and Daig almost got his way and expelled him from Klai Yisrael. So plenty of money, also, we understand quite well, he wasn't that wrong. It's going to be messy. So, you know what? Life is good. I have money, I give stalker, I have yichus. So I'm first in line, I was willing to do it, I showed my generosity, not interested. Pen, ashchis, nachalasi, not worth it. So he thought. So plenty of money goes down to history, again, it wasn't Avera, it's a nice fellow, who didn't live up to his tachas achayim. I know you're all thinking ahead that uh, we're going to make sure none of this is no to any of us because we're not from Paris and we're not Malachim and we didn't get the chance of a lifetime of plenty of money. And it's not no but uh, no one's getting away with that so quickly. So plenty of money had, came this close. And now the contrast on the positive side, the two heroes, Boyaz was quite accomplished, quite old. The most... Mekel Shita is 80 plus. That's the youngest Shita. It goes up seriously from there. Again, we would imagine in our American mind, the 80 is 15 years past retirement. He's been a Shafit in Klayasol already, still has a booming farm business, working hard. Somebody scares him almost to death in the middle of the night. She deserved to be put in Chayim until she, he figured out that she was L'Shem Shemayim and meant to L'Shem Shemayim, was willing to put herself out and basically thought like he did, that you can rest on your laurels or you can push the agenda, raise the bar, and do daring things in life when you think you can't and push a little bit further. When he realized that's who she was, then he was more than willing when he first was accosted, say that in a negative way over here, the plan was, Chaim Shmulevit says, the plan in terms of percentages, an army sending Rus in the middle of the night and expecting Boyaz to react calmly and say, oh, it's so nice of you to visit. The chances of that happening were 1%, 2%, the half a percent. Normally we don't do things like that uh, unless you feel that your entire future and the Ruchnis of Klai Israel and your Chalik and Klai Yisrael depends on this, and it's the only chance you've got. So then you take risks. 
People take risks for all sorts of interesting things. I had a, um, a bocher who asked me, he asked me, he wasn't a bocher anymore, but he, uh, he asked me, do you have to bench Goimel after you skydive? So it's coming the summer, you know, we've got to get in with the various vacation modes. So um, I said, you're presupposing that it's mutter. So uh, I said, uh, I, yeah, I didn't think that was a shayla. Well, I'm a big maker. I'm not suggesting this. The Gemara talks about walking under ladders, uh, losing schusim, having extra protection, losing schusim. I'm not suggesting you do this, so please don't misquote this. But the answer is yes, you have to bench goimel. And Rabbi Yashav held that anybody who has to do it because they're in the army has to bench gummel, but the end of their tour of duty, not every time. So you have to bench gummel. You'll ask me a good question. No. Isn't it very mistaber that anything you have to bench gummel for after you do it, you shouldn't be doing it in the first place? So you'll say, well, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I went on a plane and I went on a vacation to Florida, the place without any pizzas. If you could find that, let me know. Uh, I went to California. I went to, you're allowed to go on a plane. We go on planes all the time. And we bench Gaimel. My measure holds even when it's not over a desert and over, over a body of water. He holds Be'etzem when you're 30,000 feet in the air, you're in a Mokam Sakana. And if everything works, statistically, it's okay. So the many years we bench Gaimel, most people bench Gaimel to get off the plane, but we still go on planes. And nobody ever said, well, maybe if you're benching Gaimel, maybe you shouldn't go in the first place. So why is that? Interesting, Shailah, either it's a bench and gum, thank you, Akash Baruch, for getting me through. In the olden days, nobody in their right mind ever traveled unless it was absolutely necessary for business. Or a chasna like for a son. You were taking your life in your hands, and you know, from all the stories in the Gemara, you know, from ancient history, it was very dangerous. So you had to go, but you have to go. You're allowed to put yourself in an element of Sakana for Parnasa. Moshe says that in this famous chuva about the guy who wanted to play pro basketball. And he quotes a Gemara, which quotes a Pasuk, love and So you're allowed to put yourself in some elements of Sakana, so you're allowed to travel, and then when you get there, you should bench Gaimel. Why are we doing it for vacation? It's not for Panosa anymore. So I believe the answer is that anything that's keeping the Dash Bay Rabbin, Bishem Repasayim Hashem, like Ramesh's truth about cigarettes, whether Ramesh would say today is a different story. But for enough normal people are doing it, and most people, or at least Amida Matsui, aren't scared, so then it's probably mutter and you still have to bench Gaimel afterwards. No, you don't have to bench Gaimel after every cigarette. It's a composite of a lifetime of activity. But going on a plane, it was a calculated risk. The stats are good. You went on a vacation. It wasn't for Parnassah. Pashas is still mutter. Jumping out of planes is more of a shayla, as you can imagine. Because it fascinates me, the, um, the shaylas we get today, we get less malicha shaylas on chickens, but um, jumping out of planes, uh, they never would have imagined. There are a lot of people who do this, so I uh, told him that I'd have to look into what the statistics are. So he said, no, I have them all, it's a 1 in 16 million, he started quoting all sorts of statistics, and he said, it's mamish safer, safer than driving your car. The only difference is, if that's true, I don't know, the, all the stats are quoted from the United Parachute Organization. <laughs> so I'm not sure if they're suspect or not. But uh, even on the is, keep in mind, we drive because you have to drive, because you've got to live, and you've got to get to work, and you've got to get to shear, and you've got to go places. Now you're talking about driving and skydiving. 
If you add them together, it's probably less safe because these are two activities. You put the point .001 with the point of whatever the stats are. So I, I was amazed when, um, I'll get to the story in a minute, I was amazed when we started talk, discussing the Hashkafa. He's a good guy. This Bacher is a very, very fine young man. And he likes excitement. I said, what do you like about it? He said, you have no idea of the adrenaline. You're falling free fall. Free fall, I understood, meant before the parachute opens. I said, why don't you open it right away? He said, no, 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 no. First of all, you can't. And second of all, that's the whole fun. Okay? So yeah, free fall of about 45 seconds or so. That's like straight down. And he did this in tandem with somebody else who did this 30,000 times before. Baruch Hashem. And you free fall. It's exhilarating. So again, no taina. Some people like this stuff. Just for the Ashkafeg angle, the main thrill in life, what should really get our adrenaline flowing, is a very schwer Rabbi Kivager, a difficult Tysis. Uh, you want excitement, there's plenty to do if you're not uh, for the people in the Ezra's Nashim. So the thrill, the absolute thrill, this is really uh, for adrenaline. When the house is flying, it's like crazy hour, and the kids are not asleep yet, and there are seven of them still hiding under the bed, and the house is flying, and your husband says, okay, time for night seder. That's great for adrenaline. And when you still say, yes, please go. So that's probably more exciting than jumping out of a plane. And there are many, many opportunities we have in our Ruchnius to be able to do exciting things. You can't beat the thrill of being mashpi on somebody, getting somebody to do a mitzvah, uh, the thrill of writing a check uh, for more money than you have covering in the account, uh, not more than 20%, and then you've got to run to the bank and cover it. It's an opportunity in the land of the free and the home of the brave. We have unlimited opportunity that our grandparents never dreamt about in their, in their wildest dreams. And it's exciting, and you can get pumped. <coughs> so it happens to be, some of the people I know who did this do all that and jump out of planes for a little extra. Okay, I can't say it's also, I did research, by the way, in case you're interested in uh, planning. They claim it comes out to about, I was trying to get a Mira Matsui of uh, Kivan Dadash Bey Rabin. I, it's not a problem. 51% it isn't. Ramesh's truth about smoking, smoking at its heyday was never 51% of the population. So Ramesh seems to be assuming you need a meat or muscle that an element of the population large enough is not considered crazy. So uh, he was tining the person who asked that, no, it's not crazy. There are hundreds of thousands of people who do it. They claim it's around, um, even if you do it once, the, obviously there's certain optimal age groups, around 25 million people, around 8% of the population. That's a big number. I don't know if I believe it. It's all being brought to you by the people who are making money on it. But that's a big number. Doesn't sound right. You're nodding your head already. Okay, you guys don't have to jump. Uh, you don't believe it. Uh, the Pella is, and the reason why I'm getting to this, besides the, the Etzem, uh, the Pella to me is that, again, no time in anybody who did this. So if you did it, then don't misquote me. I'm not saying it's us or I think if you have 8%, maybe it's Dash Bay Robin. And statistically, it's pretty safe. Happens to be, this particular young man told me that uh, he already did it. By the time he called me, I said, how did it go? He says, first 45 seconds were gavaldic. So what happened after that? He said, well, after 45 seconds, you pull the string, the cord, the button. I hope it's a button by now. So I said, yes. He said, well, I'm flying in tandem with the professional. And he pulls, and it sort of didn't come out and got tangled. <laughs> I kid you not. 
This is the guy who's the proponent for... Um, so I said, uh, okay, uh, what'd you do next? He said, I said Shema very loud. <laughs> I said, weren't you nervous? He said, nervous? I was terrified. I said, why? You seem like a brave guy. He said, you see the ground coming up at you very quickly. Now, I happen to know, I'm not such an armor, it's that they have a backup one. So, he said, as soon as he pulled it, it like deployed like 10% and it got tangled. So he said, what did he do then? So he said, well, first he spent some time trying to untangle it. How many thousands of feet did he spend that? He said it was about another five, 6,000 feet. That's why he saw the ground. It's one thing why the guy's doing this, that he's the professional. He's just here for the ride, so he's just looking at him. And it didn't go. He couldn't untangle it. And then he pulled the second one, and Baruch Hashem, it came out. So I said, I thought you said it was one in 16 million. He says, not after the first one fails. <laughs> so they, Baruch Hashem, had a soft landing. And of course, the professional told him, he says, I have 30,000 jumps. This never happened before. I'm not sure whether I believed him either. Said, How did it happen? He, said, he gave some very brilliant scientific explanation that the last guy used it didn't fold it correctly. Sounds a little nerve-wracking to me. Lamaisa, the most interesting part of the story, the whole story is fascinating, hashkafically and halachically, was he said they had a bunch of people, civilians, regular, non-professionals, in line on the plane. He said the lady in back of him was certified, 92 years old. So I said, really? He said, yeah, I let her go first. No, age before beauty. 92 years old. Even Bush was only 90. 92 years old. So what would possess? I understand a young kid, okay? You know, guys like action. Okay, I get it. What would possess a 92-year-old lady to jump out of a plane? What would possess the people on the plane to allow her to jump? I'm not even going to go there. I don't know why legally that's not a tremendous issue, but she probably signed everything and then some before she um, got off. What would possess a 92-year-old lady? The answer is, is that if she didn't have a very fulfilling life until now, and you really want to do something to get in the uh, Guinness Book, so why not? It's worth the risk. Same people with the uh, jumping on the rubber bands and snapping back. Our, <laughs> our hashkafa sachayim. Again, I'm not attacking those who did it and those who will do it. And I believe apiyalocha, you can't answer it. But if you do it, then that's something you're looking forward to every ben azmanim. And that's your, your whole thrill in life. Then there's an issue. And Bayaz was a very, very old man. And what does he need this for? Running Klai Yisrael is not easy. He's been through a lot. There was a famine. And he's an old man. And the lady came in the middle of the night and uh, it's not going to look good. And then he marries a Moavia. There's so many, if he wants to get married, there's many good Shaduchim. Matter of fact, you look at the, the Medayik, you look at the Nair that he asked on the field, who is that young lady? You notice the Sneas and the Yerushamayim. And the Nair spends many psukim trying to, he understood why he was asking, trying to talk him out of it. He said, every piece of Lashon her, she came back from Mayav and she's a Moavia, and don't go there. And I know you think of the Drosh and it's not so Boshin, and it's going to be a big Machlaikis. His assistant, who cared about him, said, What do you need this for? You have such a good name and a good reputation. What do you need this headache for? It's a good Kasha. 
We look at afterwards, of course you want to marry Rus. This is like uh, Malchus Beis David. Well, we know that now. He understood that, yes, I might be 80, according to other Madrashim in the hundreds. If I'm around, I have to perform. And performing doesn't mean 80% or 90%. It means going the extra mile and doing things that are sometimes not so comfortable. They say over that at the Leviah of Bayaz, keep in mind, he was a tremendous Zaraz. Nami called it. Nami says if he wants to do it, he will get it done in six hours. This process should take at least six months. Just the title search on the properties should take six months. And here he comes the next morning, he has to make a drush, has to meet with a fire submit, has to settle the real estate, and has to get married. Just finding a hall should take six months. <laughs> and he did all that within six hours. Incredible. Why? Because he realized, I'm not necessarily going to be here for the next hundred years. And I have work to do. Ah, you did so much work. Why don't you just relax? The answer is uh, relaxing and from people, almost an oxymoron. Five minutes on a legal holiday, that's about it. Wasn't, uh, that's what made him a god of the Yisrael. And he threw himself into it, and the night after he got married, he died. Didn't wake up the next morning. So at Baez's Leviah, there were two groups of people. The first group, I hope they'll machabit to give their spadim. I hope not the second group. First group spoke about his godless and his resus and his impact on Klai Yisrael. And the fact that had he delayed even one day, which would have been normal, it's a long process, he wouldn't have had a chilek in Malchus Beis David. One more day. And the peanut gallery, the bloggers, the other guys on the side, who also came to the Leviah just to be able to try to get the mic, said he died because it was the wrong thing to do. She's a Moavia. There is no such Russia. Why is he marrying this lady who came back? Came back with Naomi, and Naomi did the wrong thing, and she did the wrong thing. And that's why he died. Just like Machlan and Killian died. Very scary, because if you overplay this position, it could sound very real. Same Leviah, he died that night, didn't wake up. So either bring it as a Raya or a Kasha. Now that sounds confusing. So how in life are you supposed to figure out when it's a Raya, when it's a Kasha? The answer is, based on one thing and one thing only, what's the Din? And the Din was, as Allah HaMashi Sinai tastes holds it's based on the Drosha, and the Drosha was true, and she was really a Tzadikis, and he understood that Hashem Yatzadavar, and this is needed to build Malz Beis David, as bizarre as it looks, and as bizarre as Yehud and Tamar looked, and Leit and his daughters, and all the other things involving Melech HaShia, which Zayar Kaddish talks about a lot. And he knew all that, and he doesn't have to explain that to everybody. And not everybody was so happy with it, and even at his Leviah, not everybody was so happy with it. Around Leib Steinman. That's all once said. Uh, it's a big kasha. You ever wonder, Dustin Vavirim, we still have plenty to read about them, unfortunately. And every Dover Shebetuma they were involved in. Adva Bachlal, Adas Kerech, which they were finally disposed of. So he has a kasha. He says, Do you ever wonder why Dustin Vavirim, when they woke up, every morning you had to get your mun? And we know that the mun was always set at a distance that gave you a grade on the Ruchnius on the day before and the week before. So the more wanting you were in your Ruchnius, the further you had to walk. And Dutzim of walked, uh, let's put it this way, they got a lot of schar halicha. Like miles into the Midbar every single day. 
So Steinman wanted to know, uh, why didn't they get the message? Every single time they start trouble, the man is another half a mile down. Why didn't they notice that? Good kasha. Did you ever think of this kasha? Why didn't they notice that? So Steinman used to say, of course they noticed it. They noticed it every day. No. So if they noticed it, why didn't they do tshuva? The answer is they noticed it, and they thought about it, and they came to the conclusion that they're being punished, and that's why the man is further every day. And the reason they're being punished is because they're not starting up with Moshe Rabbeinu enough. If you want to be crumb, you could say svaras. They should be more proactive in letting people know what they think of Moshe Rabbeinu, and that he's taking all the jobs, and his nepotism, and all the things that Kairos said later, and they're not being proactive enough, and therefore the man keeps falling further. A scary vart. Because you can rationalize anything. So, the first point we have is our job is not to look for excitement necessarily only in the outside realm. You want to play ball once in a while, you want to do something exciting, just ask a shayla first. If it's mutter, it's mutter, but that's not the primary focus. The focus is where you're going to make it exciting to do daunting tasks which might not look so good, might not feel so good at the time, might feel very difficult to pull off, but deep down you know is the right thing, and you can either say, I don't have a chiv, they didn't ask me, Nasha Menonado could have said that also, why me? I don't have to do it. And yet we see from Megillus Rus, and from many other Makaras, that the main schar in life, the main accomplishments are often done under tremendous pressure, where you had 17 excuses why you didn't have to do it. This is a, an amazing pasuk to keep in mind. A person who's lazy, by definition, if we're not mechuyiv, so we don't have to do it. So, A lazy person never says he's lazy, he just has five other excuses why it's not a good idea, and it's dangerous, and I can't do it for this reason, that reason, the other reason. Pasuk in Perechavah, Pasuk Yed Gimel, in Mishlei. Amar Atzal... A lazy person says, Shalom HaMalach is making fun of him. This is sarcastic. Shalom HaMalach wants to take Atzlus out of our system. Because Atzlus, anger you can't defend. You blow up, uh, you feel bad afterwards. Atzlus, you can convince yourself, I'm not lazy, I just uh, don't want to get involved because who says it's so pushed? So I'm a Atzl. Atzl trying to explain why he's not getting on the road, going places, doing things. Shachal Baderach. Ari Ben He said, I don't want to go out. There's going to be a lion out there. So all the Mepharshim say, Shlomo Melch is ridiculing this. The lion, lions don't inhabit regular cities, even the time of yesteryear. And it just didn't happen unless they were here to eat people like the Kusim who came and doing a Vodazar and Yisrael or something unusual. Even they noticed that was unusual. And here, Shlomo Melch says, and also will come up with an excuse. Why aren't you going? Not because I'm lazy. It's because you never know. Somebody can get hurt. You never know what's going on out there. And the Yetzirah works overtime to make sure that we either convince ourselves it's not due to laziness or it's too dangerous or we're not that from and therefore leave it for the people with real Yerushalayim. And that's uh, one of those powerful tools of the Yetzirah also brought out in Megillus Rus. Chaim Shalevitz's famous uh, shmuz how the Eitzahara often is looking to get us to years to despair. 
and to get us to do Avera A, which is not so bad, only so we should get depressed about it and then just give up. And he uses that to answer the famous Kasha, why is it that Rus and Arpa were walking and really genuinely offering to go with her and really wanted to go? Arpa included, she wanted to be a Megayar, just like Rus did, and she really planned on walking back barefoot to Israel, knowing the poverty awaiting her, noting the ridicule when they get back. She had everything in mind that she's pushing, pushing, pushing. The most powerful lesson in the Megillah. Both aspects. Number one, she pushed and pushed, and uh, the child born, by the way, from Rus is called Oved, and the Medrash Daishans. Oved is the name because the person, as the Gemara Chagika says, who does Chazar a hundred times is not as much as the person who does 101. The difference is not one. The difference is after a hundred times, you're like maxed out. As soon as you think you're maxed out in your Ruchni, if you push one more time, that's where all the Schar is. And Naomi, as you do in Hilchus Geras, was pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. She was going to do it one more time. And she figured, if this doesn't work, then I'm taking them with me. She did it one more time. Arpa let go. And Ruth held on. One time. We like to think that, no, if I'm generally with the program, that one time, two times, one less, one more, what difference does it make? That's what separates the men from the boys and the women from the girls. It's when you think you can't do any more, that last little bit. And what happened to Arpa? So Chazal tells us, Arpa went back that night, she's involved in a thousand of errors, and uh, she goes completely off. Chaim said, why? So go back. So you were holding by being Megayar. So now you don't have to live in poverty. And you don't have to face the music, get him back to head. So go back, you're a princess. Uh, go back to your father, and you'll have plenty to eat. Keep the Zion Mitzvahs. You can handle that. No, can't keep the Zion. I've got to go off there completely. I've got a Zara that works. Why? It doesn't make any sense. So the answer is the Yetzirah. This is very real for us. It happens uh, to some people once a week once every two weeks, sometimes once a day, that we did something wrong and we're firm enough, I have enough Yerushalayim to know that it was wrong, and then we say, you know what, I'm just not cut out for this. I remind every yeshiva bacher and those who have been in yeshiva for many, many years, they have themselves convinced, uh, I tried, I tried, I tried, and uh, learning's not for me, and I, I tried doing the chesed, and then somebody once screamed at me, can you imagine somebody's doing chesed and they got screamed at? Can you imagine? That's... I, when people tell me this, you got screamed at how many times? I don't know what they were saying. So, no, no, it just happened once, but I'm out of here. <laughs> so you can't, uh, I don't know what you were doing before, but it's a bit of a pellet to me. You weren't screamed at multiple times, like once a week, twice a week, three times a week. Not screamed at, what do I need this for? I'm, I'm volunteering. You're not volunteering, you're building Klai Yisrael, helping Klai Yisrael, and building Yon Olam Haba. That's not volunteer. And Lapum Tsaragra, you don't look for Tsaris, but as soon as the Eitzahara tells you you're not good at this, so then you have Yish and you give up. And as Saul Salanta says, the biggest machla is Yish. Now you say, well, the biggest machla is all the horrible Midas and Kas and all the other Averas. The answer is no, those you do Truva from. If you have Yish, then you quit. And Arpa quit. And when she realized afterwards she quit and she blew it and she could have had everything, she said, I blew it, I might as well eat, drink, and be married. And that's exactly what the Eitzahara wants us to do. To go completely out of control, to spin out of control after we have charata. It sounds very firm, you have charata. Severe charata. You're in a horrible mood. So when people come to me with these things, depending on the severity of the Avera, 
If it's not so severe, I tell them, yeah, focus on it for two minutes. If it's very severe, three and a half. It's three and a half minutes? I said, yeah, you come back and oh, we'll get another 20 minutes in. After that, you're in the hands of the Yetzirah because then you just, why should I, uh, I, I didn't even uh, make Zmatvila. I'm going to make a Tamingan today. Well, that's not me. So you just, you're out. That's what happened to Arpa. And at a time and a place where Kosh Baruch Hu is giving us so much freedom, so much opportunity, you can't just say, well, I remember that before the Chavaz Chaim wrote the Sefer Chavaz Chaim, they tell me I wasn't around. My great-grandparents said, not speaking Lashonara wasn't that in style because the Chavaz Chaim didn't write about it so much. That's why he wrote the Sefer. So now, at least um, half of the time, I try to hold myself back, so I'm doing well. Not to compare us to the former generations in Yerushalayim and Elakite, the Messiah's Nefesh at all, but the fact that you might have been born on a pedestal and you know more, doesn't mean, therefore, if you're doing just as much, you get a free pass. If you know more, and you have more freedom, and you have more money, all that comes with a tremendous, tremendous achrayas. I look at the clock, and the skipping remind me on Thanksgiving. Uh, there's three other points I want to touch upon. Ramban, the beginning of Midbar. The Midbar is called Chumash HaPikudim. A lot of counting. So Ramban wants to know what's this counting about. Now, counting is dangerous, so they took the half a shekel. It's like a parim. You have to count all your day something else, a piece of pottery, shkolim, whatever the case may be. You can't count directly. We all know Ashiya Samecha. And you can't count for no reason. And it's dangerous. David Amelch did a census, well into his kingdom, and there was an agefa, and Mepharshim are scrambling to figure out what did he do wrong? Did he do it with something else? And they say, even if he did, maybe it wasn't necessary. So Amban wants to know, what's the Pasha? Why are they counting? Why is there an Indian over here? So he says, well, Pasha Pshat could be, you're running a kingdom, you have an army, you're about to invade it, so you need to know how many people in the army. Okay. He says, you're splitting up the Nachala, you need to know how many people per square mile Who's getting what? Fair enough. Aban says it's more than that. And he brings a Medrash Rabbah. Medrash Rabbah asks a bit of a stereo. It says, Misper is a number. A number means you're just a number. We tally it up and that's it. Shemus is you have a name. You're an individual. And the Medrash says that Akash Baruch told Moshe Rabbeinu, don't just tally up the number. You can go knock on the door of the tent. Say, how many members of the family over here? So Shisha Bekarasachas will say 62. Write it down, and they'll go on. It's certainly easier. Kashbarachu tells Moshe Rabbeinu, no, I want you, Bederachnes, I guess, the millions of people, I want you to see every single person. Bishamus, I want them to walk by you. I, the Ramban says, I want you to see them, to be able to give them a bracha. Sister Chaim explains, not just to give them a bracha, to tight shop what their Tachas Chaim is. It was a time in. Jewish history, everybody had their own personal Navi. Mar Megillah says there are millions in Avim. And you went to a Navi not only to discuss Tshuva and Chizuk, and sometimes to find out where your donkeys are, but that wasn't the main purpose. You went to the Navi to find out what's your Tachas HaChaim, or what's the question, what's the Tachas HaChaim? Tayyag Mitzvahs. You've got to learn as much as you can, you've got to be Machsik Tayyag, you've got to do Mitzvahs and Chesed, Stuck and Davin. After you do all that, 
then there's a unique Tachzachayim for individuals. And the Milo of being counted and being watched and looked at by Moshe Ben Aaron, the Ramban says, is that they will see each individual and their Ruach HaKadosh and their Kedusha will be chal on them and they'll be able to give them their marching orders besides the tally of all of Klai Yisrael. Now, this is difficult to figure out. We're not going to answer all the questions now, but I want to point out why people struggle with this. There are two different vantage points, and they're both true. The Gain, Armageddon, says that when Ami tried the last time to convince them out of this journey, it says, Vateraki Rus was trying to come, and then she says, okay, she can come. The guy over there says that the reason she knew that Ruth was going to make it is because she was makabal al mitzvahs and she was half her age. And Tereki Misametzes, she's struggling to walk. She's not keeping pace with her. Nami's double her age. Haladavrahu. She's in worse shape than Nami is. So the guy says, got to know where to apply this. The guy says that sometimes in life, if you're too excited about something and your body's cooperating, that's a simon that it's not such a great idea. Rila Dover is, if it was such a great idea, the Yitzhahara, the body is chaimer, the Yitzhahara would weigh you down and try to slow things up and get you lazy. And she saw that she's ready to go and she's walking, and she's walking very fast, and she's walking uh, at first a little too fast, and now she's makabal al Now she sees kimitzametzes is slowing her down. Says, "Oh, I know that's real, because it's not so posh. It's not so easy." Famous Meisel Chaim Velozhner came to the guy, Lushitasa, and he was all excited. He had an idea which revolutionized Torah and in the modern era and the modern prototype of the yeshiva. And it was a gavaldic idea. He says, "Going to make the first yeshiva." Until then, everybody's learning in their village. Locally, he says, we need a central authority, we need a yeshiva. It was a great idea, and he was all excited, and the guy told him no. Good Talmud that he was, that's why he was the next Galadar, he didn't really get a why and didn't really ask, and he left. Came back a year later, more subdued, and he asked again, he says, Rabbi, I really think there's a need, and this is why. And he was holding out, and the guy said yes. And he asked, and then he asked, once you have the steerer, after. After the 10th Nisayan, Rab Mavinu, he's able to ask all the steerers, Bincha Yechitcha, and then you tell me to bring him as an oiler after it's over. So he said, Rebbe, uh, first time I came, it was also a good idea. He says, yes, but in order to start the first yeshiva, you need as close to 100% Lashma as you can, and I know you can, and you were a little bit too excited. So that means there was still, there was 1% of you in there. Now you came back and you spoke about the potential, you also spoke about the problems, and then you said, Miani, Mani, and now there's a good chance of success. So that's on the one hand. Uh, if it's going too easy, uh, you have to be suspect. On the other hand, the theme we just spoke about is Jesus. Boyaz got up, despite his age, despite the difficult circumstances, we're going to get it done right now, the next morning, four in the morning. He's lining up the basin and plenty of money is standing right there and he gets the whole thing done. So maybe he was too excited. Answer is, Zrizas doesn't mean bahala. It means thinking something through and then when you think it through, execute it in a speedy way with excitement and simcha. But you have to first figure out where's the excitement coming from. And again, the balance 
you're learning, even if you're a masmid, you've got to do chesed, and the Baal chesed has to be learning. Um, you'll remember from yeshiva, there was always one or two bachrim who were very excited to run out of the Besmejish when they heard the phone ringing in the hallway. The hallways, I guess I'm playing stairs, the hallways used to have phones, they were attached to the wall. Um, if you remember this, they had a thing like this where yeah, you have to go like this and you pick it up. It's, um, I might have one somewhere. Uh, so, why are they getting so excited? The ring, I could hardly hear the ring. And they said, no, they heard something ringing in the dorm. That, that might be uh, somebody's mother reaching out to him. Who knows what she has? So that's a gabal de gechesed. Shaili is, why are you so excited to go get the phone? The answer is, this tesis is very schwer. It's going very slow. And I can't figure it out. And instead of pushing a little harder, it's easy to get the phone. So... Everybody has to figure out that balance. And when you had Moshe Ben on Aaron, they would look at you and say, okay, this is your Tachaz Lachayim, what you should focus on. After that, you got to just figure it out with your Rebbe, your Rav, your friend, for an objective opinion. But if you're missing on either side, you have a problem. If it's not enough Zerizus, then you're not going to get it done. You have to be excited about it. If you're too excited, you got to figure out, is this what I'm supposed to be focusing on? Yetzirah's second trip, he has many tricks up his sleeve, he uses all of them all day. And people, when they hear about the Yetzirah, he's so powerful. Chavaz Chaim used to get up very early in Poland, it was very cold, only for about 10 months a year. And they had no central heating, and the Chavaz Chaim once woke up at 4 in the morning, it was just freezing, and he had covers on, and uh, he was in his 80s then, and he woke up, he's about to jump out of bed, and start Tavay Des Hashem, and the... He, Chavaz Chaim told over the story. He said, my Yitzhahara told me you're an old man already. It's cold out. You don't want to catch pneumonia. And don't go too fast. You need a little more sleep. And um, just calm down. And he's too old for this. And the Chavaz Chaim, without missing a beat, I'm sure, told his Yitzhahara, I have a feeling that you're just as old as I am. Which, if you think about it, is true. And you're up even earlier than I am. Because you have to think of these Terutzen before I even open my eyes. So, we sometimes get weary, as the Yetzirah is always a step ahead. We have full Bechira. We just have as an incentive, understand that everything we do makes a tremendous difference. And we don't like to think of ourselves, I don't want to become a Balgaiva. Everything I do makes a difference. It makes a difference now. It makes a difference in the cosmos. It makes a difference for children, grandchildren, lederi deris. The small things. Because according to the theme we're discussing today, everything you've done until now is tremendous, and you're doing your tachas achayim. It's that last thing, the 101st time, that's very difficult, that you're going to get exponential schar for, and exponential siyata deshmaya, to be able to accomplish so much more. Because that part didn't come easy. They have made tremendous strides, especially in the last couple of years. The science has been around since 1920s, even before that. I'm not going to have time to do justice to it, so maybe I'll just try in uh, five, six minutes. Uh, you don't have to get nervous. Um, you're not a scientist, you're not a mathematician. Uh, it's, it's very, very simple, and it holds 
two Yisaitis, basic Yisaitis to Yiddishkeit. What bothers us is that we think, yeah, we don't really have Bechira. We have Hashem knows, we have Bechira, something like that. I don't really understand it. Okay, Hashem is out of time. Scientists are just beginning to realize that time is one of the dimensions and uh, they're trying to figure out how to get out of it based on Einstein's theory of relativity just that we can't go faster than the speed of light so if we could, time would go backwards Einstein already said it he was more of a mind than he realized but the most fascinating area of science to my mind is quantum physics quantum mechanics now before you close your eyes uh, the Chavetz Chaim mentioned that Dura Loma Drega and Amuna. Every generation we need more of a Raya that there's an Eisen Shamas, an Ayan Raya. And he said it about the record player. Record player is like that phone on the wall. It's a thing, the vinyl thing that's spun around, something like a CD. And he said, Nebuch, we're on the Madrega now. Shem has to make an invention that you can record something. But that's, we know that from Chazal. So as time goes on, we're in even lower Madrega. And a Baruch who gave us Okay, but I can do justice to it now. It's, it's breathtaking, even if uh, science is not your thing. It's absolutely breathtaking. Everything, the human eye is breathtaking. The skin is breathtaking. Anything, and you have to not be a mind. This, even Lishita Sum, is so off the charts that whenever you mention quantum physics, quantum and that, anybody, they say, oh yeah, that's the bizarre science that doesn't make any sense, but it works. And not only does it work, they're using it. They're harnessing it for the most incredible technologies now, the area of science that's going by leaps and bounds in communications, in quantum computing, is quantum physics. And it's based on Yisai that makes zero sense unless you happen to be from and know what Bechira and Yedia is. There are two basic Yisaites to it. One is that they did an experiment of why they thought this would even uh, come out the way they thought it might come out. They weren't looking for this. As a matter of fact, they were looking for 100 years to disprove it. And the more they tried to disprove it, the more they uh, proved it. And that is that uh, we're used to thinking the world is static. Everything, all matter has either one quality or a different quality. It can't have both. So they're not at the same time. And when you have a situation where things are acting irrationally, it forces you, if you're somewhat honest, to do more experimentation. What they notice, that, again, if you're from, it's never push it, that nothing is static because everything in the Bria, in the physical Bria, is affected right away by every mitzvah we do and every Avera we do. So when we do an Avera, in Kabbalah you'll call this Klippus. There are many names to this, but in Kabbalah it means what we're doing here can affect something a galaxy away. So we're used to this concept. Scientists are not, some are not secular scientists. And Einstein himself, when confronted with this, uh, called this particle entanglement, uh, I think, uh, spooky action at a distance. He was making fun of it. One of the few cases they proved Einstein wrong. He couldn't believe it. There's a way to have two particles. We're talking about subatomic levels, so these are things you can't see, called electrons and things like that, photons, electrons. And once they had a sheikhus under controlled conditions, you could have one on one end of the solar system, another one over here, when you tickle this one and it goes in this direction, the other one goes in this direction, and they can't be talking to each other because the reaction is faster than the speed of light, and nothing's faster than the speed of light. This Akasha, they blive schwer, but it works, and it's being used now for the most important communication technologies. If you could build something based on this, you can't break into the system. 
the computer people over here, you've probably done some reading on quantum computing. All computing, the chips are either zero or one. Well, guess what? They're now inventing things that are both a zero and a one. Makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, there was a famous um, thought experiment. They were, they were trying to break holes in this and make fun of it in the 1930s and 40s. Ironically, maybe not surprising, all the fathers of quantum physics were Jewish. Some of them didn't admit it. <laughs> They're all Jewish. Einstein was there, but Einstein was trying to debunk it, and he had a big machlekes with his chavrusa, who was also Jewish. And um, to show how ridiculous the notion was, unless you're brought up with this, as we all were, uh, the famous thought experiment was, Schrodinger, I think, did this. He had a cat in a box, and if you have a box and it's sealed, and you put some radioactive activity in the box, there's a 50% chance it'll go off and poison the cat, 50% not, and the box is closed. No, when you open the box, you will find out that the cat is either dead or alive. When the box is closed, according to quantum theory, which has been proven a million times over, you can't argue with this, even though it makes no sense from a secular point of view. Murchnius, I'll explain in a moment, it makes perfect sense. The cat is both dead and alive until you open it. And when you open it, when you observe it, it makes a decision. So he had that famous thought experiment to explain how ridiculous the notion of of subatomic quantum mechanics was, quantum physics was, and it's impossible. What's the answer? We don't know. So I did, it's quoting two famous experiments, the cat never happened, and now it's certainly not happening because of Peter. So they're not trying it. The, it was a thought experiment. But there's one experiment they did, which, again, they did this hundreds of times. So you're going to say it's ridiculous, you're going to, I'm saying it fast, so you'll hazard it over afterwards. I don't want to, let's go a few minutes over time. Um, they took electrons, called the double slit experiment. You take one electron and you throw it, you, you shoot it at a, a wall with a slit. Some of them it bounces around, picture a bouncing ball. It'll eventually get through the slit and they had a marking on the back, the backboard we'll call it. And all the markings, if you shoot one electron at a time, will be somewhere behind the slit on the backboard. Okay, you have two slits, one electron. So where's the marking going to be? Well. Call it 50-50, so it could be one marking over here and one marking over there. Picture the two slits over here. So far, so good, I don't want to lose you. So very simple, it's, it's absolutely breathtaking, because they have to admit this, because they've done it and nobody slugged it up, and nobody will slug it up. I'll explain why. So, you shoot one electron, and um, you have two slits, so it should be half the time it'll be over here, and half the time it'll be over here. That's not what happened. Electrons and photons have waves, like all light does. Picture a wave, it's this wide. So the wave now will create, instead of one mark, it'll create like this. If you had two electrons, and one went through this one, one went this one, you'd have two waves, and waves bump into each other, it gets even wider. And you'll end up having a design with colors over here, all against the entire backboard. Some chacham, it's brilliant that they even thought to do this, because it makes no sense, but they saw they were shooting one electron with two slits, and they were getting the full wave markings Kilo, there were two electrons, meaning one went through each, each slit. Can't. It's impossible because there's only one electron. So the brilliant conclusion that they came to is when we're not looking, and they tried to look thousands of times, they put in sensors. So as soon as they turned the sensor on, they had one electron, it picked one of the two doors, and there's only one marking, sometimes over here, sometimes over there. As soon as they turned the sensor off, they had markings, because there were two waves now, across the full gamut. And then they quickly looked again. And then they only had one. And they, okay, you could drive yourself crazy doing this. <laughs> they turned it on, turned it off. They did this thousands of times. 
And the only conclusion they came to is, like the cat, but we don't see it in larger objects, is that apparently they call it nature. We're going to call it Kosh Baruchu because that's the Emmas. Kosh Baruchu built into the Bria that Bechira is so real that as everybody here is faced with a decision a million times a day, you have full Bechira and you have two decisions and there are two outcomes and the entire Bria is here to show us that everything has its mirror image in the outcome until you decide. And when you decide and when you look, of course, there's going to be one outcome because you can't have, be looking and shoot one electron and have two electrons going through each of the doors. So they basically admitted that you're shooting one electron and it's going through both slits because you couldn't have the full gamut on the backdrop. Meaning, until you open that box, the cat might have been dead and alive. And the computer chip they're building, which is going to be, I don't know why we need it, my computer's pretty fast, the computing, the computing power, they say, is going to be a million times faster because the chips don't have to go back and forth, they're just both. And whatever you need it for, it doubles as both. They're talking about, amazing, but they're doing it. This is not theory anymore. You can't slug with a theory when they're using, quantum mechanics comes from quantum physics, and they're using it. Kosh put this in the Bria. They figured this out already 60, 70 years ago, but they kept fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting, and now they can't fight anymore because they've been using it for a while, and they keep making advances. Why did Kosh do such a strange thing and put that into nature? The answer is, Hashem wants us to understand two Yisraelis, and that is, humans are in charge of the Bria. Klai Yisrael is in charge of affecting the Bria, and when you do something over here, you can have... I didn't explain because I would need another hour what the entangled particles have to do with the cat that's dead and alive and the electron that's two instead of one. But it's the same part of the theory. You could do something over here and in the other side of the universe it's affected. It's impossible. It can't travel faster than the speed of light. And how are they talking to each other? So Einstein said, it doesn't make any sense. Spooky, uh, spooky action at a distance. Not happening. Figure something else out. Well, then 70 years later, not only have they not figured it out, but they proved it enough that they're using it. So, Koshboko put in the Bria, number one, that we make a difference in every word we utter, every word we say, ben l'tay, ben l'mutav, every action we do, affects the galaxies and affects everybody else. Brings Mosiat Shmaya or Rachmal Islam brings it down. The second thing is that we secretly would like to believe, yeah, we sort of have Bechira, but not little me. And Hashem really knows it's going to happen. Hashem decided already. So therefore, whatever I do, Hashem's guiding the world. You know what? Hashem is guiding the world. And ultimately, we're going to get to the Gula Shleima. But we as individuals have full Bechira to decide what we're going to do. And until we do it, it doesn't become the reality. So as soon as you open that box, the decision is made. As soon as you start putting on the sensors, you'll see which door the electron is picking. Until then, there are two distinct possibilities that are very real. And Hashem has us all mirrored in the Bria. With that, we'll pick up some of the mathematics of it maybe next time. In the meantime, understand what we're affecting, and Hashem will take a guide us to the Gula Shleim of Amen.